Okay, everybody. Hi, and welcome back to Faith Brunel's Insights. I'm Faith Brunel, and today we're here with Nick Hines. Hi, Nick. How are you? Uh, good morning. Yeah, I'm feeling great. Wonderful. Um, I'm glad you are here on the show with us today. So, everybody, I'm going to tell you a bit about Nick, uh, just briefly, actually. So, he's one of our guest speakers today. But actually, Nick, I'm going to actually ask you to introduce yourself to the listeners um, this morning. So, can you introduce yourself to the listeners, maybe telling them a bit about kind of who you are, um, what you're currently doing, and how your week's been so far? Great. Yeah. Thank you, uh, Faith. Uh, <laughs> so, my name is Nick Hines. I am... Um, I don't have a proper title. I, I call myself a digital entrepreneur. And uh, for the last wait, 22 years, 23 years, mm -hmm. I've been building various uh, businesses within the sort of internet space. Wonderful. And I'm continuing to do that. Uh, today, I have an involvement with about 21 different digital businesses, mm -hmm. um, and one of which, uh, the largest one, SOMO, We've just sold to uh, a lovely Brazilian company called CINT, and they are listed on the New York stock market. And uh, I'm now working with them on the integration of the business into their business. Wonderful, Nick. Thank you for that insight and that overview into kind of who you are, what you're currently doing as well. It's been very um, interesting uh, just to listen to you and sit here um, and take that all in as well. So, yeah, so that's really, really interesting. And, I, you know, I have to say what an impressive portfolio, what some impressive, you know, um, work you've been doing, you know, being involved with say, 21 digital businesses as well. And even SOMO um, as the largest one uh, is being integrated to another kind of, uh, into another company. So that's really impressive. I mean, it's really interesting as well, because when I was actually crafting, these um kind of questions i wasn't aware of that but it's so good when you have guest speakers who have done more things as well since you last kind of spoke <laughs> to them um, and it's a great update to have as well nick so again welcome to the show and um, we are happy to have you here and i'm sure the listeners will really benefit from your insights from your wisdom from your experience as well especially as an entrepreneur as a serial entrepreneur as well okay so let's kind of like delve in now into some kind of like really interesting stuff not that what you said wasn't interesting but i'm really excited to talk to you about your journey uh, because here at Faith Love Insights, it's about your journey. So um, the, the actual mantra is that kind of becoming a barrister or indeed achieving anything in life is an event, it's a journey. And so let's kind of kick off now in that respect into your journey. So as I was doing, you know, some research on you, as you do for your guest speakers, I noticed that you're actually previously the Chief Executive Officer or CEO, President and Founder of the SearchWorks, Europe's largest search marketing company. So not being satisfied to stand still, you're also the President, CEO and Founder of Overture Europe, the company that invented the paid search um, industry in Europe and East Asia. And, and in addition, so um, just a, a brief little info about Overture, the parent company, uh, was sold to Yahoo for $1.63 billion in 2003. That is some achievement. Um, well done for that. And so there are some very significant achievements that I've just listed to date. So what did you learn about yourself, kind of, you know, maybe about your eye to detail or, you know, being a complete finisher? So what did you learn about yourself, you know, through those processes and experiences sure yeah i mean just to clarify we sold uh to yahoo we sold over to inc to yahoo right. but i i was responsible for creating uh over to business outside of north america mm -hmm. so it wasn't my company to sell i was right. a, a member of the company and a shareholder um so it was a collective effort i don't wish uh, anybody to think that i was claiming to mm -hmm own everything about Overture, but we did create the paid search business. It's what Google does today yeah. very well. Google were just uh, organic search at the time. 
and they uh, quite uh, did a brilliant job at taking the overture model to a whole new level mm-hmm. um, and very well successfully. So uh, remind me again, so your question was? Yeah. So the question is kind of like through all those um, kind of experiences and that process, what did you learn both about yourself and both about kind of the business experience? So the, the generic answer I give on this, frankly, is <laughs> and it's the sort of question I've been asked before, is I think the number one fundamental is the inner self and what mm. the the comfort you have with yourself, yeah, who you are as a person, definitely, and yeah. and, and learning to understand what your A skills are, what your B skills are, and what your C skills are. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a really fundamental thing. It doesn't matter what job you have, what role you have, what level you are in your career. Understanding your A skills, B skills, and C skills uh, is incredibly important. Let mm-hmm. me just explain what I mean by those A, B, C. Yeah, please A do. skills. A skills is the stuff which you just are brilliant at. Mm-hmm. You don't, it's not something that you necessarily value, frankly, because mm-hmm. it's so part of you and what you're great at. Yeah. That um, it's just always part of your life. So mm-hmm. you don't sort of recognize it necessarily. B skills are the kind of skills that most people think about as a skill. They are things that we learn, we, we acquire, we develop, we, uh, you know, we go through an education process or a skill process or an experience process. Mm-hmm. And we have, B skills are great. You can be fantastic at B skills, but B skills are skills that you have not because you are Nick Hines or Faith. Mm. You 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 just learn them because of the circumstances you're in. Yeah. And then C skills are really the most important skills to identify more than mm-hmm. A or more than B. Because mm-hmm. C skills are the stuff we are rubbish at. <laughs> the things that we are not so good at. So mm-hmm. for me. I'll be quite upfront, and anybody who's ever worked with me or knows me knows this for a fact. My personal time management is dreadful, <laughs> absolutely dreadful. So the way you deal with those C-skill problems is, A, understand what they are, mm-hmm. B, be honest with yourself yeah. that you're not very good at this, mm. and C, find a way to mitigate mm-hmm. those C-skills. So I've worked since 1988, Mm-hmm. With a uh, with all this busy, busy life I've had in in the world of work, I've always worked with a personal assistant. Yeah, and because I've had a personal assistant to work with, I have been able to achieve everything else. Right. If I didn't have that personal assistant, I feel like it's a it's a tax mm-hmm. on my on my uh, um, cost of of being an employee or, or being an entrepreneur. I have to have a personal assistant because my Without that time management, I'd be I wouldn't achieve anything else. Yeah. So going back to the journey, so A skills, B skills, C skills, and I worked that out around early thirties right. in my in my in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, other up to that point, when we're between twenty and thirty, we we believe we can be good at everything, and for a lot of people, that's true. Mm-hmm. I hope it's true. Um, but by the time you get to thirty-ish. You start to realize that actually you aren't so good at certain things and you are really good at other things. Yeah. And that, that is the secret of happiness. Mm-hmm. Stay with the stuff you really like doing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. And dodge the stuff you really don't enjoy. 
Yeah, I think that really kind of um that really let's say um you know talks about the importance of understanding what you enjoy for one, what you're good at and what you're not so good at as well. And as you kind of like really outlined, you know, there there are three different kind of things like you know, you have the A skills, the B skills and the C skills, and you really did give us a really good overview and insight. It's really informative to listen to that because then you start to think about the skills that you do have that you have acquired, whether it be through hard work, skills that maybe you kind of were inherently born with. So you know, you know, some people are born with the gift to play piano other people have to really work at it and so it's like uh, you know what I mean it's like so it's like identifying exactly. the key differences between those skills um and then as you said the C skills are most important they're very salient why because as you explained very very kind of you know eloquently is that you are kind of working at those because you're not great at them but you still kind of push yourself to get to where you are now and that's really important and you know what this really kind of brings me back to one of my favorite quotes by Booker T Washington he was one of the he, he was one of America's first black educators and he has a quote about success which really and kind of encapsulates and encompasses what you've just said and he said basically I have learned that success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has overcome while trying to succeed and this is talking about kind of those C skills when you are not really at your ideal place at your destination it's about what you do in that journey and that's why Faith Brown's Insights really kind of focuses on the journey and you mentioned really you know a wide range of things such a very very um important today thinking about those skills thinking about how they're going to be applied how you're going to get there and it's a really really interesting journey that you've had Nick and even what you said about being 20 to 30 you know sometimes we have this kind of mentality this preconceived notion of life whereby it's like I want to do like x y and z but when you actually get to it in kind of practice it differs from theory so much because you're like oh gosh maybe I can't do that and that but then it's about identifying what you enjoy and if I always say to the listeners choose something you enjoy don't choose it because it's a status quo choose it because you genuinely want to uh proceed so thank you nick uh for those really really um interesting things to listen to and to take in and i personally will be going home um, and i i while i am home i will be going the rest of my week thinking about the um, a b and c skills so thanks for that okay so yeah so you kind of have actually touched on this but what would you say then are your three top takeaways or tips for kind of venturing out into the business world I think, uh, so yes, I mean, obviously, as I've just explained, mm -hmm. the fundamentals of who you are, you need to understand that. Otherwise, you will make the wrong decision. Yeah. I have a lot of people who are working with me now, have worked with me in the past, mm -hmm. that when it, they get to sort of uh, seniorish levels, I will interview them and I'll say, so where do you want to get to? Where, mm. Where's success for you? And they go, oh, I really want to be CEO of my own business. Yeah. And, and I go, okay, walk me through what do you think your day will be like as mm. CEO of your own business? Tell me what the major challenges will be for you as being CEO of your own business. Mm -hmm. And I have to say very, very few people, because they haven't done it, obviously, that's what they're aspiring to become. Mm -hmm. they, they don't really understand what that role and what that job will be. Mm -hmm. And actually what people really want is the concepts of control. Mm -hmm. They want to feel like they're in control of their, of their environment. Mm -hmm. And I think that being CEO gives them control. They think that they're going to be rich. Mm -hmm. And they think that being CEO makes you automatically rich. Um, or they feel that they want to, uh, they're surrounded by people who keep making the wrong decisions mm -hmm. and that no one's listening to them. 
and if they were CEO, that they would listen to. All those are things that you can acquire and, and environments that you can be part of without becoming CEO. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you really, really want to be CEO, you probably don't know what it's going to be like. Because when you are a CEO uh, and, and, or running a startup or creating a startup, then it is so difficult and so hard. The major motivator has got to be the passion for what mm. you're doing. Yeah, agreed. Not acquiring a title, mm. not acquiring you know riches, <laughs> not acquiring um, control over what you do every day. Yeah. It's actually so you're just driven by a mm-hmm. passion to achieve the mission. And if you don't have that passion to achieve the mission, you're going to be you could still be successful, but you know what? It's unlikely you're going to be happy and successful. Mm-hmm. In which case, what's the point? <laughs> um, so I try to get mm-hmm. that through to people. Yeah, excuse me. And then I try to unpick the generic, I want to be CEO mm-hmm. and say, well, okay, I want to control my own business. I feel like I've got a lot more to offer. I feel like I'm constrained by the environment I am working in because it's somebody else's company, somebody yeah. else's organization. I'm working for the government or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and I really feel that if I had my own business or, or was running a business, then I would be in a position to make the right decisions every day. And of course, the fundamental of that is I don't make decisions every mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. I've been CEO now for 23, 24 years, yeah. uh, 25 years actually of different <laughs> businesses. Um, and, you know, it's not me who makes decisions. Um, it's my team. Mm. It's the team you want to make the decisions. Right. It's the team you want to ensure has got uh, the right focus on the right uh, outcomes. Everyone agrees on what that outcome should be. Everyone's part of the decision to get to that outcome. Mm-hmm. It could be a profit target. It could be a growth target. It could be acquiring a competitor. It could be launching a new product. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. Everyone agrees within that leadership team, small L, small T, the mm-hmm. people who run the business every day, this is what they want to achieve. And they understand the constraints, whether it's budgets or marketing issues or whether it's the market size or whether it's the um, new technology or the dependency on on development. Whatever it is, um, they understand all of those things, not just the bit they're responsible for. Yeah. So it's about developing a team. And so the CEO role is mostly about, in my view, setting the agenda for where we're trying to get to mm-hmm. by agreement, recruiting a team, making that team work together. They don't have to love each other. They don't have to like each other. Um, it's great if they do, frankly. <laughs> but the most important thing is that they respect each other, they work with an open and trustworthy environment. Yeah. And if you can get you know, someone to create a team around that. Now, it doesn't really matter if you want to set up a hot dog stand and you need uh, someone to drive the truck, mm-hmm. you need someone to go to the cash and carry and buy the stuff, somebody to cook up the the meal, the product, um, and somebody to go around and put up posters around uh, your local neighbourhood. It yeah. doesn't matter how big your team is or but you come how- together. Mm-hmm. it's about everyone coming together mm-hmm. otherwise as a ceo you spend all every day arguing with people 
about, well, he's wrong and she's right. And why didn't you listen to her first before you'd made that decision? <laughs> you know, and that's how you spend your day. And that's not a great way to spend your day. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Is, yeah. It's you know, interesting. You know, that's, and so the number one thing is I've got passion for what I really want to do. Mm-hmm. And I love what I love it. I really want to do this. And I really believe I can make a difference. And I know it will be a long, hard journey. There'll be really bad days. There'll be difficulties I feel I can never overcome. Mm. And, you know, get that mindset. But I still want to take it on. And I believe I can achieve the mission. If you don't have the belief to start with, give up then. Number two, I'm not going to be able to achieve this mission on my own. I need to have a bunch of people around me. Um, eventually, you may start off on your own, mm-hmm. but eventually I'm going to need some people around me. We all agree the same thing. If you can't have that alignment of purpose, that what I would call picture of perfection, right? Um, we are trying to get to a specific place, and we all can see what that means. You know, a sports analogy would be standing on the top step, you know, the Olympics with a gold medal around your neck. Mm. If, if you you need to have that vision because on a wet February morning at 5 a.m. when the alarm goes off and you've got to go on a training run in sleety, icy rain in the dark, mm. you've got to have something in your head which makes to you get you out going. of bed and do mm. that. Yeah. Yeah. So you so you're saying that vision is like imperative. And so without it, like you're you know, you may have a dream, but you have to have a vision as to how you're gonna kind of achieve that dream as well, is what you're saying as well. So I thought you're saying because like we will encounter struggles, we will encounter difficulties, but it's really about how we overcome those challenges as well. And you've mentioned really a wide range of things that are really applicable to everyday life in terms of people sometimes that there is a kind of um people do misconstrue um, you know, what it means to be a CEO, they think it means just kind of sleeping in wait you know late and you know uh, kind of walk into the office at 11 a.m and saying okay i'm back i'm here now but it's a bit more than that and it's about you know also really you know inspiring your team to achieve their goals as well you have to be a, you know leadership is very important and one thing i've learned from my parents well i've learned many things but one thing i want to really kind of talk about today is what kind of my parents have demonstrated because they own a series of business as well and leadership is about kind of having that team that can rely on you having a team that can work together as you said they don't have to be the best of pals but if they can just work together in that work environment to achieve a common goal then you really achieve that and just really as you said you know you know whatever your goals are whatever your dreams are whatever your vision is it's really important to kind of make sure that that you know that you have a kind of guide or a framework as to how to achieve and really Nick that really does apply to myself because as someone who does have a startup brand, um, you know, I, I am the CEO of my own business, Faith and Insights. We actually recently launched the kind of e-commerce section. Um, you know, we have like merch as well and things like that. And we're kind of branching out. And so for me, it's like about thinking, what is my vision? Where do I want to be in the next five or 10 years? And through the Princess Trust, actually, I've really kind of, you know, it's really helped me to kind of map out the business plan. Think about where do I want to be? And so the Princess Trust really is um, a really, really useful kind of, um, you know, organization and a kind of group people um who work in the princess trust to really guide you and help you there so i want to just kind of um skip there into the princess trust and probably probably know i'm going to do that um so when did you first start kind of getting involved and working alongside the princess trust wow it was probably about 10 11 12 years ago now okay Um, and it was introduced uh to me by um and this is not 
things you would you you would be <laughs> normally expect. Mm. Uh, it was introduced to me by um, a bank guy. So yeah. I had sold a business. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. I sold the search works. Yeah, and uh, back in two thousand seven, and um, there was a financial crisis then, and and I put my uh, the money I'd, I'd made into various banks, which keep going bust. Right. And so uh, in the end, I put it the money temporarily at least into a bank, um, and the guy who um, it's Coots Coots Bank. Um, yeah. Coots Bank is the Queen's Bank, mm-hmm. um, and I met a guy there called Perry Little Boy. Mm-hmm. interesting name Perry little <laughs> boy um and he is a lovely lovely person still there mm-hmm. very important in the bank uh sort of board level and yeah. he was very familiar with the prince's trust mm-hmm. and i was chatting to him um about what i wanted to do in the future and i yeah. said look i'm i'm going to be doing the, my next range of things i've got mm-hmm. these things underway and he said that uh Coots were very very interested in encouraging people like me uh, to be uh, more engaged in philanth- uh, philanthropic uh, exercises. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm really interested in that. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, look, knowing your background, where I come from, mm-hmm. which is a very um, lovely but ordinary background, if you like. I don't mm-hmm. wasn't born into wealth of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, so he said, knowing your, your background, I think that you'd find this really interesting. Yeah. So he introduced me to Princess Trust, um, and uh, that's really where it started. Yeah. And the I was very I had become very involved with the NSPCC. Yeah. The National Society of French Children, Children, and I had uh, set up a digital board there for fundraising, and uh, I'd been there five or six years, uh, but I was not very comfortable with the new CEO at the time. Mm. Long time ago now, not not the current one. Um, <laughs> and their attitude, mm. uh, shall we say, um, and decided that I really wanted to move my focus onto something else, but of an equal importance. Yeah. So I gave over my role to a guy called Gavin Dean, mm-hmm. who I, I'm chairman of his company. The company's called Reward. Right, uh, Gavin's yeah. a fantastic mm-hmm. entrepreneur himself. His dad is David Dean. He owned Arsenal, built the Emirates Stadium, mm-hmm. created the Premier League. Interesting. And, and Gavin is, uh, you know, he obviously was the exact opposite. I mean, he was grew up in a world of, of wealth and privilege. But mm-hmm. he has created his own fantastic business, which I'm chair of and have been for 13 years. Um, but he took over the NSPCC mm-hmm. from me um, because I was, you know, he, he wanted to do something good, something really valuable. And so the point I'm trying to get to is that anybody that has competence mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether you have wealth. It doesn't matter whether you have um, a lot of spare money. It's about your time, your focus, your experience. Try and find at least a small part of your life to give up for others. It it, it doesn't mean writing large checks. (laughs) It it may mean just coaching somebody. So the Princess Trust has got an enormous coaching program. Um, It takes... uh, uh, very normal, ordinary people, puts them through a training program. Mm-hmm. They become mentors. They become coaches. They become advisors. Yeah. Um, and the, the whole charity runs on that sort of volunteer volunteer base. My role mm-hmm. is, because I'm able to do so and have yeah. more impact, <laughs> is to be an evangelist, mm-hmm. to support individual uh, Princess Trust um, 
recipient. And yeah. um, one in particular is a guy called Ty Brennan. I work with, in fact, I was with Ty yesterday all afternoon. Mm-hmm. Ty Brennan says, uh, be the fittest. Um, he's a sort of me- my- minor media celebrity or maybe a major media celebrity. <laughs> um, fantastic guy, brought up on the estate, had a bad turn, a few bad turns, mm-hmm. got himself mm-hmm. into trouble um, at a very young age, 16, 17. Um, and then I had a wonderful girlfriend who turned him around, got him an interview at the Princess Trust. And um, he, we you know, what is it, 20 years mm-hmm. later, the guy's running an empire, a business empire. Wonderful. And um, yeah. what you know, a journey. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, he always says, he always thanks me for my time. And I say, you know, Ty, every time I meet you, I learn something new. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of this kind of philanthropic process. It isn't just about rich dudes, rich old dudes writing checks. <laughs> this is about how you can bring your experiences, mm-hmm. your competences, your time, your objectivity to a bunch of people who, frankly, could be right at the very bottom of their life, yeah, you know, really in a very bad place. And, um, and and I just, sorry, that's my little advert for the Prince's Trust. Well, that was it well. <laughs> I'm really passionate about, it's the only organisation which looks after just about anybody from the age of 13 mm. to 30, 30, um, that uh, needs a lift, lift up, needs a helping hand, needs a bit of support, coaching, maybe developing a business, maybe just finding a job, maybe just finding somewhere to live. You know, it's an unbelievably important organisation. And the fact that it was set up, originated by Prince Charles, is frankly immaterial. (laughs) That's not what it's about. I've met Prince Charles a number of times, Mm -hmm. but not because I'm a Prince's Trust guy, through (laughs) through other reasons. But, But, you know, he has set the agenda for doing, you know, they're very restricted as royals is what they can do. And he has mm-hmm. set an agenda and filled a hole in yeah. British society. The hands-on and, approach uh, there, yeah. I, I've, it's been, I've been lucky enough for that to strike across my path and be able to be part of it. And I've not met anybody that's involved in the Princess Trust that isn't mm-hmm. incredibly passionate. Once Wonderful. you learn what it does and how important it is. Yeah, wonderful, Nick, wonderful. There's so much I can kind of comment on there. I mean, you know, really just kind of talking about the Princess Trust. Personally, I've had a great experience overall. Um, And I was actually kind of, I had the opportunity to kind of, I've actually recently been given some funding from the Princess Trust. You know, obviously when you are like a business person and you go in there and they, you know, and and, and they talk through your business, the kind of that grant there as well. So I'm really grateful to the Princess Trust for their kind of, not only just monetary support, but their emotional support as well in terms of like, like talking me through, I, I had an advisor. They, you know, we talked the business, we talked through the pros and cons of, of the strategy. You know, what is my vision? You know, really outlining kind of how Faith Brother Insights can make a difference among the student community, because because that's the aim of Faith Brother Insights to help students with how to study, how to revive. When you're talking about here, this hands-on approach, philanthropic nature of yours, for me, really, I'm really interested. In to tutor for a company called Logos, which is my dad's company, every Saturday, and while I was doing that, it was like really uh really rewarding to see students who had previously struggled on a topic suddenly get like you know a star so they have believed in themselves to get to that mm-hmm. final destination and that's really important as you said um one of your aforementioned points when you believe in yourself that will get you there as well and so my name is faith yeah. and my name yeah. you know my name is basically the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen so you might not see it but you have to have the faith and belief to believe it and so even what you said about mindset as well it's important we have a growth mindset and not 
a fixed mindset. Mindset is where you're like, I can't do this. I've never been able to do it. And you kind of rule it out because it's new. It's out of your comfort zone. But the growth mindset, you know, conversely, it's like, yes, it's new, but I can't wait to get stuck into it. I can build. This is my opportunity to develop my kind of current skills and kind of push myself. And that is really imperative. And again, that's what the Princess Trust really does embody. So I'm really glad that you could shed some light on that as well. And what you said also when you went to the bank, um, networking is so imperative. LinkedIn is how I kind of, well, I actually, um, I met you virtually through the Princess Trust and then followed up on LinkedIn. But LinkedIn is highly synonymous with kind of networking. And it's really good to kind of, if you want to get out your comfort zone, meet new people, um, if you want to you know, do any of that, then that is the place to do so. Um, that's really, really interesting, Nick. And thanks again. And I just want to pick up on um, what you said. So you said that obviously it's not just obviously men just kind of writing checks and you talked about your background, how you didn't come from wealth. So so I'm sure you mentioned actually before in our kind of introductory call before we had the actual interview that you were the first one in your family to go to university. Am I correct there? Yes, that's right. Um, and uh, it was, uh, you know, I come from a, a happy family background. Yeah. Uh, but um no, you know, most people in my family historically always went to work at 16 or 18. Yeah. Um, my father, who uh, sadly died when I was three, so I didn't oh, really know him, but mm. he he, uh, he went to a grammar school and went on to become a chartered surveyor. Mm -hmm. But he did that at 18 with uh, night school. Uh, my, right. my, my uncle went to another grammar school mm -hmm. um, and he became a great research scientist for Eastman Kodak Company, yeah. which basically ran the film business worldwide. Mm -hmm. and, and, it, and my mother went to a grammar school and she became a chair, uh, a PA to a chairman of H.J. Um, Hines Europe. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all the three people um, that are directly related to me in the previous generation yeah. all had very successful times and careers, uh, but all left school at 18. Um, right. When I was 18, the general exception was that I was going to work at that mm. point because that's what we did in our family. Um, and then I just I had such a passion for economics at the time mm. that um, <laughs> my economics lecturer mm. uh, said to me, look, you really should carry on with this. Um, you, you have talent. You're interested. You're very engaged with it. Have you thought about going to university? And I honestly had never given it a thought. Mm. So it was a teacher. It wasn't a member of my family. Yeah. It wasn't like a social pressure thing. Mm -hmm. It was a teacher that said to me, look, you can you can do this. You yeah. should think about it. Planted that um, seed. Ah, mm -hmm. oh, it, was, it was amazing. It was yeah. like uh, somebody pulled the curtains apart, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I, I, I uh, started looking into it. And, then, you know, I'm that kind of a guy. I'm a sort mm. of analyst-type person. And, uh, and I thought, well, this looks not too bad. And um, I went around uh, to a few universities. I had... No, my, I left home at 17. I, mm -hmm. I, I was happy with my family. I, I was uh, in conflict with my stepfather, so right. I had to leave home. Mm -hmm. So I was funding myself then, doing right. sort of what could have available, doing, you know, working every job you can imagine. Mm. I, don't, I don't know how many jobs I had at the time, but I certainly worked every single day. Yeah. Um, and um, it was a big deal because, you know, just going to universities to view them, to meet people, mm. cost a blooming fortune. 
Um, you know, when you're self-funding. So mm. one of the ones I applied to was Aberystwyth, yeah. which is in the West Wales. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me, the only way, the cheapest way I could get to it was like for like a five pound rail journey. Mm. But it took me 24 hours Whoa. to get to Aberystwyth on mm. a train, not right a train, on. about 10 trains. Oh, gosh. Um, and then 24 hours to get back. Oh, so gosh. I lived on a train for two days. Oh my gosh. Um, but I got a place. Yeah. <laughs> That's I the main they gave thing. me the place because of my perseverance, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, when you when every every penny you've got comes mm. from you, it doesn't come yeah. from anywhere else. Um, so when I did get to university, I really valued it. You know, it was it was not the nice, lovely people who mm-hmm. came from pretty middle class families. Who, for whom going to university was an expectation. Yeah. It, it wasn't an aspiration, it was expectation. Um, and when they, you know, they got to university, it was like, okay, this is what our family does, this is what our people do. I got to university and I, I was on a floor of um, uh, 12 lovely lads, lovely yeah. boys. Yeah. There was only one other lad there that mm-hmm. had been to uh, state school. Right, uh, yeah. All the rest of them were public school boys, private school, you know. Mm-hmm. The girls upstairs, there was a two-split house hmm. uh, 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 hall. Um, the girls upstairs, there was three girls there that had never done washing up or ironing <laughs> because the staff always dealt with all that. They're for them, yeah. yeah. So, you know, it was an incredibly uh, levelling experience for everybody. Mm-hmm. I got levelled up. <laughs> and they were leveled down yeah know? but we all met in the middle you know mm. it was um and so the whole whole thing was, was just brilliant absolutely mm. brilliant i'm really glad that it, it was really kind of an eye-opening experience as you said that you leveled up as well and they kind of met you in the middle okay everybody so part two we are um you're continuing so nick um in part one you kind of finished off by talking about your university journey how you really enjoyed it what um because you leveled up and you know and you kind of were able to have new experiences really um and you and we did say to all the listeners who are you know who are coming back we did talk about how nick was the first one in his family to go to university but it was in fact his teacher who planted that seed of hope and kind of showed him that you could achieve as well and so it's really important that we kind of have the right people around us because Nick you know I'm sure you're fortunate enough to have a teacher who really um who really believed in you and so it's really important that we you know as students we have so many opportunities in schools as well and in universities and I'd say and I I'd really um implore you all and encourage you that any employability kind of seminars any kind of things where you can sit down with your teacher and talk about your journey talking about what you want to do in the future is really going to be imperative because sitting here now I'm so grateful for my college and for my secondary school because I went to a private school as um you know in secondary school and then I went to like a grammar college and both of the experiences there and obviously here I'm here here I am now at uni and both of them there were so so imperative but they taught me different things obviously two different experiences so one was private one wasn't and so I really um enjoyed them both so um yeah Nick let's kind of um so before we finish off today what we're going to talk about is just a few more things about your educational history and then I want to just talk about a few more things so you oh. actually so would you say that you know going to university changed the relationship you had with your family or were they supportive of you going um there there was no uh, negativity about me going mm. there was a uh, slight confusion perhaps mm. um because uh, obviously i was not economically active yeah. um, <laughs> i spent three years 
um, at university, having a lovely time, mm -hmm. uh, enjoying every aspect of it. Um, and so when I got to 21, yeah. um, the, I, I was presented with um, an opportunity, which in some way, I've never regretted anything in my, my life, but this is the one thing I, I sometimes think uh, how life could be different. Yeah. I was presented with an opportunity to go to uh, the University of Pennsylvania mm -hmm. uh, to be sponsored to do a PhD in what was then my most favorite uh, subject, which was <laughs> the concept of federalism, uh, yes, federalism the, the political yeah. f f theory of federalism mm -hmm. for the Irish Republic. Yeah. So I have a, a, a my ancestry is Irish. I'm from yeah. an Irish immigrant family. Mm -hmm. I was born in London. I'm second generation. Yeah. Um, and uh, on my father's side, on my mother's side, uh, they've been in London many years, I think, mm -hmm. uh, but um, originally London Scottish. So um, right. many decades. But um, the Irish side of me, because of my connection to my late father and my and my grandparents, mm. who were very keen helping to bring me up, um, yeah. I was very passionate about Irish republicanism, mm -hmm. um, not violence, not yeah. in any way, shape, or form of violence supporter. But uh, the concept of uh, United Ireland was very important to me. So yeah. I've developed a political theory around creating an Irish federal state, which enabled the uh, uh, Kingdom of Ulster, mm -hmm. one of the five kingdoms, to become part of one federal state yeah. of Ireland, but retain its own rights around uh, religious protection. Mm. And uh, at the time, uh, there was abortion rights in Northern Ireland, but not in Southern Ireland, in, yeah. in the Republic. Yeah. Um, so things like that, you know, mm -hmm. sort of yeah. recognising the differences, but trying to find ways of bringing everyone together. And that that ultimately is, we're all aware, not anything to do with me <laughs> whatsoever, <laughs> but it became the uh, the Good Friday Agreement, Yeah. which is they, the, the, the two islands focused more on the things that they had in common. Yeah, coming and together. And stopped mm -hmm. focusing on the things that they had apart. Yeah. And it's a great lesson in life. It is, um, yeah. So I had this uh, opportunity to go to the University of Pennsylvania, all fully paid. Mm. They'd paid for everything. Yeah? Yeah. Fully sponsored, fees, lifestyle, everything. Yeah. And, uh, and I turned it down. Right. I turned it down uh, mm. because, you know what, that, that, that thing in my head about yeah, yeah. you should be at work, you should be earning, you should, this is what lingering. we do. Yeah. I'm a Heinz family person. I should be <laughs> doing my thing. Yeah. Um, and and so I turned it down and I went to work. And uh, it's the one thing in my life as a decision I felt I made for the wrong reasons. Right. Um, uh, but, uh, I went on to do an MBA. At, yeah. Uh, uh, so I did a lot more further education with um, the University of Bath. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the School of Management, and uh, that was paid for by British Airways. I worked then for British right. Airways, and British Airways sponsored me on, uh, paid for the whole thing for me on an Wonderful. MBA for two years. Wonderful yeah. experiences there. You've really had some really great experiences whereby companies have sponsored you. So, you know, I'm really happy for you in that respect that you were able to not only go to university you wanted to do and kind of study um, or read a course, but you were sponsored as well. And can, I'm sure like you're, you know, now familiar with all the fees and the debt that students are in. So if I could be sponsored, trust me, I would really be appreciate that now. Yeah. So, um, yeah. because obviously when you come out of university, you, you know, you 
are going to have a degree because at the moment I'm reading politics. So when you're talking about the federalism argument and the Good Friday Agreement, I'm very familiar with that because I've not only done A-level politics, but I'm doing a BA now at King's College London. So right. it's really, really interesting uh, to listen to uh, your theories as well and what you're talking about. Um, and maybe in the future we should have some more political discussion. Um, but yeah, mm. as I... <laughs> It's really, really interesting. Um, I just want to ask then, so just to kind of pick at that then, so you went to uh, University of Bath that was sponsored by the British Airways. Now, what courses did you do? So what did you do for your undergraduate course? So I did a mixture of things. I started out, as you heard uh, earlier on, in a yeah. economics. But frankly, when I was at university, I got mm. involved in so many other things. That's yeah. the point, really, yeah. I think, of university. That's the aim. Um, that I became more passionate about mm. the political science uh, side of things. Yeah. Um, and I also I got more involved in economic history. As as you learn about why what happens in the mechanics of economics, yeah. you realise that, Nothing is just is. Everything is because something else has happened in the past. And the more you learn, this is a great Winston Churchill quote, which I'll slightly paraphrase here, but <laughs> the more, the more, you know, if you want to know the future, you have mm. to understand where you've come from. Yeah. And I think that's a really, really important thing. And um, I found economic history in particular mm-hmm. tells us so much about what will happen next mm. um that yeah everyone everyone wants to know what's going to happen next well actually if you've got a really really in, in economic terms at least mm-hmm. if you've done economic history in a relevant way it will give you a pretty good insight really it won't tell you the answer but it'll tell you it'll be a b or c yeah um I so i got more and more excited to that and so i focused very much on u.s economic history Mm -hmm. and the other side of the house i focus very much on soviet economic development really the rise in the 20th century of what were then the two greatest superpowers and how they rose from both very simple agricultural driven economies Mm -hmm. to becoming the two superpowers that they were this is the 1980s so we you know this is gorbachev and reagan people like that ancient history for your (laughs) listeners i'm sure but um it was very you know it was head-to-head russia versus america Mm -hmm. everything whether it was ice hockey whether (laughs) it was um, proxy wars whether it was the arab-israeli conflict Mm. it didn't really matter it was it was russia versus america on everything and to this very day uh every day i will use in the difficult decisions i have to face about management within management i will use my economic history i'll use my economics and uh less so politics more (laughs) of the politics comes into psychology really yeah and the way in which human beings interact Mm. interesting Nick really interesting actually you've answered my next question because my next question was going to be to ask if you like kind of lent heavily on these kind of um subject matters when you pursued your business ventures but you've just said that you did really kind of kind of like pick things that you did um study at university and skills that you did acquire from there as well and then just really in the last kind of part of this um really interesting interview so far so Nick I've already mentioned a lot of the big things that you've been involved in over the years but the story does not end there and I just want to talk about reward so when did you first get involved so i got involved with reward the loyalty business in 2009 at the time it was uh, a business uh, that uh, gavin dean had set up yeah he um had originated it 
It was originally focused around uh, loyalty uh, loyalty schemes for football supporters right. to enable them to afford. Um, so basically, local merchants offering points yeah. effectively so that um, local football supporters could afford or, or offset some of the cost of their annual season ticket. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of people, uh, a discretionary spend mm. uh, at the time, I can't remember what it was, but <laughs> nowadays for a Premier League, it's what at least, what, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred pounds for mm. a Premier League season ticket. And for a lot of people, that's a huge amount of money. A lot of money to um, out, It's not yeah. something they have to pay on rent or mm. mortgage or, or gas bills. It's something which they could or could not spend. Mm. And so making that decision was a really powerful one. So he set up a loyalty business there uh, with his, through his father's connection with the football. He, he was uh, it was an independent business, nothing to do with his father. Mm. But um, he had an awareness of what was going on in football. And that business was was uh, splattering along. Yeah. And he'd taken it to the next level. Um, and at that stage, he was literally running the business in mm. a small room, uh, free office space from a good friend of his, Dan Wagner, yeah. um, who had him and seven uh, members of staff. Uh, 13 years later, we're now, I think, 250 staff. Yeah. Um, mm. He provides the loyalty, major loyalty programs for uh, people like uh, NatWest Bank, mm -hmm. uh, Virgin Money, Barclay Cards. Um, this business now works with Visa, MasterCard, American right. Express mm -hmm. across Europe and the Middle East and uh, now opening in Asia Pacific. Um, it's, uh, it's a business uh, which was publicly valued in November 2020 when we had it uh, publicly uh, announced. So it's mm -hmm. something I can talk about. Uh, <laughs> investment by uh, Verisk Financial Data mm -hmm. uh, Inc., which is an American listed business. And they valued the business at that point at $160 million. Whoa. Um, so we've gone from um, not very much to quite a, quite <laughs> to a, a nice little business. Yeah. And uh, in, in British PLC terms, mm. that's pretty big success. And I can understand why it would be such a big success. It was really an innovative idea to kind of bring to the forefront. And just to conclude then, let's kind of briefly talk about SOMO. So you've made, so I saw on LinkedIn that SOMO is like a leading digital project agency. So um, just briefly then, what when was it founded? And why did you and your co-founder, Carl Uminski, decide to found this company initially? We had sold um, uh, the previous business mm -hmm. to a NASDAQ listed business. Um uh in 2007 i completed the handover mm -hmm. in 2008 and then as you heard from my background i didn't yeah. have a year off i didn't have the gap year i didn't mm -hmm. do all the kind of middle class things that a lot of people have as advantages so for the very very first time in my life i took some time off and yeah. uh, i spent i went traveling and uh for many years i've been traveling to africa it's my mm -hmm heartland it's where i love the most and i spent with my then girlfriend uh, now uh, wife and oh, mother lovely. of my children yeah um we spent uh, about four months traveling throughout africa all the way from the very top of the uh, rift valley all mm -hmm. the way down to the very tip uh, of uh, cape town okay. in south africa we, you know mm -hmm. going to robin islands and yeah. i have a beautiful um signed uh photographer picture of uh, uh nelson mandela looking out of his window and I, I have 
I have sat and looked out that window mm. in exactly the same way. And um, mm. anyway, the point is that <laughs> um, I, I've, I've, you know, I spent some time doing that. I came back. My wife went back to work, or my mm. girlfriend as well, and she went back to work. And um, I was really bored. And <laughs> Carl Duminsky uh, turned up uh, one morning. Uh, his business uh, was backed by a company called Tudor. Yeah. Um, Tudor was uh, a casualty of the financial crisis. It mm-hmm. went bust overnight. Bang. Whoa. A massive hedge fund. Um, and, he's, and he's basically put his hands in his hands and he's oh, I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what it's all. I've worked so hard on this. I've spent three years of my life doing this. And for mm-hmm. no fault of anything to do with him, because Tudor was uh, badly managed in financial terms, the whole business was collapsed. You know, mm-hmm. everything. There's a global financial empire you know what's the two most important things in the whole wide world right now it's the rise of what we call social mm-hmm. at the time people didn't even call it social they just called it you know friends and family things uh, <laughs> the rise of social yeah. and um the rise of uh, mobile mm. mm-hmm. and uh everyone said to us you crazy don't get involved mobile it's dominated by two giants they are never going to change. They, mm. you know, they dominate the market. Uh, they, they will control everything forever. And those two companies were a company called Nokia, mm. and a company called BlackBerry. We had just come across this thing called an iPhone, mm-hmm. Carl and I, and we looked at the iPhone. We looked at what Nokia were doing and mm-hmm. what BlackBerry were doing. What's going to happen next? But we do know there's going to be massive change. Yeah. So we started up SOMO, and you clues in the name, Social Mobile. Yeah. Um, so SOMO. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we set that up uh, in yeah. 2009. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, basically, uh, we really got going in early 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, event- we originally went into uh, mobile marketing and media marketing. Then we realized that the quality of the technology that people were using WAP sites and websites on phones was absolutely awful. <laughs> and our first client was uh, Interflora, mm-hmm. the flower people. Yeah. And they had taken their website process and mm-hmm. put it onto a mobile phone screen. Right. And uh, you needed to uh, uh, input data onto 36 different screens oh, in order to buy a bunch of flowers. Now, Interflora are technical, technically innovative. Mm. So they're ahead of the rest. Yeah. Or they were then. And <laughs> it was 36. Can you imagine being on your phone yeah. and 36 pages of that data? That is a lot. It's it, a long process. Right, on a little phone. Throw <laughs> a bunch of flowers to apologise to your, your boyfriend or your God. girlfriend or to, uh, you know, send to your mum for a birthday. You know, and it, your 36 pages, it took like an hour you and your companies as well that you've worked with have been pioneers for change, you know, to see how you're yeah. really developing, you know, new digital technologies as well, things that didn't exist maybe 20 years ago. It shows how quickly the world is moving as well. And that's really interesting. And yeah. just, I'm just going to, so just so that everybody else knows, to the listeners, I'm, I know that you've kind of worked with, um, you were the non-executive director at SwiftKey. You've done some other roles, such as chairman of, of the board at the Review Centre and non-executive director at Halsey. And also um, you were, so for example, um, one of the previous awards that SOMO has previously won was the Tech Track Management Team of the Year in 2014. Uh-huh. Was it? Number yeah. one. Yeah. The number we... one award in my life. Yeah, I was actually going to say that you beat me to it. 
yeah. Um, but yeah. No, sorry. It, it's absolutely the most important award of any award I've mm. ever won in my life. Yeah. Because A, it was for the team, not for me. Mm. Uh, it was completely unexpected. It was voted for by Hiscox and Barclays. Neither of them are my client. Yeah. Uh, it was independently assessed and it was compared to all of my peers. Mm. So mm. Uh, the top 100 digital businesses in the UK at, yeah. in that year, they chose us to be the mm. management team of the year. And it is by far and away the thing I'm... Uh, pride is a sin, mm. but I, I, I have to admit the sin... I'm very proud of that award. Great. Um, that's a great achievement, actually. And then just finally, um, before we end today, what tips and advice would you give to those wanting to start their own business? And in your opinion, what traits do future business leaders and entrepreneurs have to have? Um, so number one, you really uh, spend a lot of time thinking about it. Yeah. Um, thinking about what can go wrong. Talk to people who have experience and expertise around the subject. Um, no one individual... Uh, will win on their own they have to have a team yeah and you need to find other people that will agree with you they may not work with you full time but they agree with you in your strategy you will you are more likely to have success mm. in what you want to do if a bunch of people who you trust and respect and believe have the right knowledge agree with you then it's just you on your own yeah you know, occasionally you will get a very maverick person who, who who gets it right and everybody else has got it wrong, of course. <laughs> but but the teams win. Mm. Teams win. Individuals don't win. Teams win. Um, in terms of uh, other things, you in terms of success, perseverance, yeah, passion. If you don't have perseverance and passion, uh, you've got to be have self belief. And self-belief isn't being arrogant. Mm. Um, self-belief is about recognizing your faults and accepting them as well as recognizing your skills, your A skills, yeah. B skills, C skills. Mm. Um, and I would say uh, look for a way to go with the, the flow of the river. Look for, don't try and like be swimming upstream <laughs> against everybody every day. Yeah. You know what? No matter how good a swimmer you are, eventually the river will win you know so that's a really uh great way to lose energy and uh focus and yeah like um, that analogy opportunity yeah you know, go with the river <laughs> look where the river's going to go to mm. and find a way to get something to do something useful where you go with the river rather than against it excellent nick thank you um for kind of answering those two questions in in a lot of depth as well because you know i know that that, that the listeners will really appreciate that answer because you know a lot of people have been starting their own businesses since kind of the the, the pandemic obviously it's mm. moved things online so this is really the perfect time perfect focus um to have so just finally then how can the listeners get in touch with you after the show um well i'm on linkedin mm-hmm. um and that's the best way to do that um yeah reach out uh, and mention in your message that uh, you connected to me because of uh, listening to the Faith podcast. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I know the connection. I get reached out to, I don't know, 30, 40 people a day. Right. Um, I have, uh, I, well, I have to tell you, I have about four to 500 people a month uh, reach <laughs> out to me. Um, and I'm afraid I, I don't just say yes to everybody. Yeah. Uh, um, I think that's uh, the, not the right way to do it. But if you connect to this, this podcast through Faith, then that's the bridge, and I will connect <laughs> to you. Well, thank you, Nick, there. So um, as everyone just heard, if you um, kind of talk about how you listen to this podcast, 
that will be the bridge to get Nick to connect with you. And uh, truly, when you do connect, it will open some doors for you as well. So do take up the opportunity. So Nick, really thank you for your insights. Thank you for your information and your depth, really, when kind of answering the questions that I posed to you today. You really did that with such enthusiasm. And I know the listeners will really appreciate it. Um, Just to everyone, if you have any questions, you can send them to me or you can connect with Nick via LinkedIn. And I'm sure if you have time, because he's very busy, everybody. So and he will answer your questions. Um, So yeah, that's literally that, Nick. Thank you for being on the show today. Um, I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope you enjoy the weather because truly it's picking up recently. So everybody, that is me. Um, As you know, I'm Faith Brunel. This has been Faith Brunel's Insights, the podcast. Um, Have a great week. um, And um, remember, it's not event, it's a journey. All that's left for me to say is this is your host, Faith Brunel, signing off. Thank you.